We started last Lord's Day with a New Year's tune-up message, and it was from Titus and verse, really verse 5, only one verse. And so if you want to turn to Titus, uh, that might be a good place for you to be. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 answered this question. We tried to answer this question, that is. How does GBC get more ministry focus this year? That's what we were, that's why we were there. That's what we were doing. We were trying to really just get ourselves to take another step forward with regards to our church body and really the ministry. Now, Titus 1.5 is relevant for us because take a look at what it says. For this reason... I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Uh, this is a verse that basically is a sort of a cleanup verse. Say, hey, look at your church. Here's how you clean it up. Here's how you make it more of what it needs to be. And we made the point that here at GBC... You know, we only have one elder, and there Paul says, appoint elders. That is, more than one in every church that is in every city on this island called Crete. And so, we see that, and we say, well, that's some serious direct application for our church. So we have to deal with that text for this church. That's God's word. That's Listen, that's God's will for us here at GBC. And so we want to look at this and treat it seriously. Now, when we talk ministry, most of us think about the guys that get paid to do this, the what you might call the experts, the professionals, maybe... It was a surprise to you to find out from Scripture when we looked at Ephesians 4.11 that God gives us pastor teachers to train the rest of us to do the work of service. It's so different than how the world maybe would understand things. The world maybe would look at the church as a place where you get men of the cloth who are kind of up there and... The rest of us come and drop our coins in the plate so that that man of the cloth can do what we want him to do. Because after all, we paid for it. But that is an American thought about church. That is not God's thought. The ministry then isn't for the professionals. It's for us. It's for all of us. John Piper wrote a book to help us remember that called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Just to remember, he was speaking to other pastors, but he could have just said it to all of us. Listen, let's never forget we don't look at the church in the same way that, you know, out there they look at organizations with executives and CEOs and people that run businesses. Listen, This is so different. This is not organizational. It is organic. So in other words, we need to remember that we don't take our P's and Q's from the elite, from the world. 
from the big shots. We aren't meant to be, you know, some machine that cranks out programs and has great organizations and business. When we say that the ministry is organic, we... What we mean by that is it is a life-on-life work to try to help each other be more and more like Jesus Christ. No wonder in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, he likens the church to a body, the human body. Flesh, blood, brain, movement, where it can bleed and feel and grow. Now the message in Titus 1-5 is simply this. Finish what he started. Finish what he started. Who, who started? Well, in, in the context of Titus 1-5, he's talking about, Paul is talking about what he started. So he started there, the church, and he, in fact, he started several churches there on, on this little island called Crete. There on that island, he preached the gospel. He made many converts. He started churches all over the place. What was left to do? Appoint elders. Don't forget, too, that Paul started this, but really, Matthew 16, Jesus started it. Jesus started it. He always does. I will build my church, Jesus said. I'll do it. You might think your ideas are fantastic and creative. And, you know, after all, I mean, we got these ideas from Fortune 500 or whatever it is that's out there. I mean, they've got to be worth something. But Jesus says, no, 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 actually, I will build my church. I don't need their help. I'll do it. So in a real sense, GBC is here because Jesus started this church. So how do we finish what he started? This is where we're, we're, we're trying to answer that question because Titus led, you know, or Paul led Titus to try to think about that question and answer it. How do you get to that place where you become more ministry focused? Titus 1.5, five, five guides Let's kind of go over some of these here and pick it up where we left off. First, don't forget the ministry context. Now look at Titus 1-5 again. Paul tells Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete. Now what does that mean? Well, we should not forget about Crete. I mean, Crete was the place where you had all the liars and the lewd and the lazy. Okay? They were all there. You say, those are my cousins. You know, I know those people. Well, we're all that, aren't we at times? We, we could call this Depravity Island, right? That's pretty much what it was. But you know, it's always that. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Fallon is that way, right? You can live in Reno and realize that it's that way. Sparks or wherever. We need the gospel here, right? Why? So that we might grow less and less like those liars and lewd people and lazy. How do we do that? What's his answer? Get elders. That's his simple answer. 
hey, just go get elders. He said, all right, what do we do? Put it out of the paper. Uh, you know, maybe we put it out there, you know, Facebook, you know, message, whatever that is. You can tell I don't do Facebook because I never know how to talk about it. Um, but, you know, how do you do this? Why do we do this? Well, let's think about this here. I mean, he says, go get elders because they will help you reach the lost. They, they will help you grow the saved. They will help you be lights in the dark, depraved community. So that was the first guide. Don't forget the ministry context. So the second guide was this, to remember the ministry conundrum. The ministry conundrum. What is that? Well, simply that it's hard. I mean, Paul tells Titus that you would set in order what remains. And, and I think it's good for us to remind ourselves we're not done. Uh, Paul wasn't telling Titus, hey, why don't you go and uh, tie up some loose ends, make this church perfect and all it needs to be, and then come and see me, and then we could just put a bow around Crete and forget about Crete. We won't ever have to worry about Crete. Crete would just be in this island of awesomeness, right? That's not what he was saying. When he says, finish what remains, what he was meaning was, don't ever forget, it's always at that, at that place of what remains. Now, we shouldn't put our hands in our pocket and go, oh, well, I mean, didn't we just read about it? We're always going to stink, so let's just kind of live at that place. No, what he was saying was, You find that area where things need to grow and grow it. He's telling them, you're not done. There's always more work. And we're going to be tempted to be like Crete and get lazy and we will want to let ourselves get discouraged by the failure, by the need. Finish, Titus, he says. Now, he says, make, uh, set in order what remains. And you remember we tried to help you understand what that, what that word means from the Greek. It, it, it carries this idea. We get our word orthos from it, which means to straighten something out. And so the idea is to make it straight. Find what's broken and fix it. And by the way, not what's broken according to what you think is broken. Oh, we all have opinions and ideas of what's broken. But as you're reading this, and you come to realize as you're looking at this, that there's some broken areas, then fix it. That's the idea. Don't let yourself get comfortable like the work is done. And so we fight that here too at GBC. We must fight that to make sure that we are committed to fixing and mending what is broken. Third, the ministry command. And it is really simple. He says, and appoint elders. Go into this church where you have the influence of liars and lazy people and appoint elders. What's an elder? Let me see if I can give you a few thoughts here on that. An elder is the visible 
motivator for the saints who do the work of the service. But he's not just a cheerleader. He's not just a motivational speaker, so to speak. He represents Christ in the church. He represents Christ in the church. One of the reasons why, I remember way, way back when things kind of first got started, one of the things we did is we tried to focus a lot on the qualifications of elders, and we kind of went through them slowly and, and all that. One of the reasons why we did that is to try to make the point that these are people the Lord has called into the church to lead us, to show us Christ, and so this is one of our better pictures of who, what Christ's character looks like. So when we talk about being conformed into the image of Christ, it's, it's nice to be able to have like a list here that we can look at and go, okay, this is what he means. And so there to be representative of Christ, he, he stands, that is, this, this elder, the elder stands with the apostles. When it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42, the elders were the people that visibly were that the most. Right? The apostles died out and left the elders as the leaders in Christ's church. And so when we're talking about them, the elders, we're talking about those people that can help us the most to be like Christ. And we saw last time that this is what Paul did everywhere. Preach the gospel, make disciples, encourage them to stay faithful to Christ, and then appoint elders. We saw that from Acts 14. And we showed you the Bible uses different words to talk about the same position. When we talk about an elder, sometimes it's presbyteros. That's the Greek term for elder. That word means aged, an aged one means it speaks of uh, spiritual maturity. Sometimes uh, it's, it's episkopos. That word just means overseer. Sometimes it's translated bishop. Please do not call me bishop. It just means one who looks over the whole and sees all that's going on. One that has a read on the people. Now why is that? Well, for lots of reasons. For safety, right? It's almost like being perched up on the eagle's nest and being able to kind of see what's going on out there. It's for caretaking. It's, he, he must be a person who can have a view of the, the whole thing for direction to guide people, to, to guide the whole church. And you remember, we, he said when we talk about looking over, we don't mean some, some guy who's perched up and who's therefore separated from people and distant and sort of you could barely ever get a chance to talk to him because he's way over there in some office somewhere locked like Fort Knox away from people? No. He's like Jesus. He is to be like Jesus among the sheep in the house of sinners. Right? I love that picture that Christ 
was never uncomfortable being in the house of sinners. Eating, talking, visiting, living out God's word in front of them and with them, bringing the Lord to them. See, how many times were the Pharisees just shocked by that activity by Jesus? I mean, he eats with sinners. Can you believe that? You, You realize, a lot of us, we know prodigal son, Luke 15. Do you know what prompted Jesus to actually give that parable there in Luke 15? This thought. Because they have this view that if you're really righteous, you wouldn't hang around sinners. And they were upside down about how God saves people and what he saves them for. And so the elder is not to be distant and perched up. He's to be with life on life. Now what does he mean by a point? I mean a point. It sounds official, doesn't it? What I have news for you. It is. It is. In fact, 1 Timothy 3.10 says of the deacons, let them also be tested. And when he says also, it's referring back to the elders. In other words, the elders were to be tested. You were to have a testing process to know who they, who, who they are supposed to be. So that tells me that when he talks about appointing, he is talking about this in an official way. I think that helps us because it makes it just a bit more serious. We shouldn't say to ourselves, well, anybody can be this or that. And in fact, when talking about positions of leadership, when we talk that way, anybody can be this. We are really lowering the standard, aren't we? I don't want to go to the hospital to find out that their mantra is anybody can be a doctor. I don't want to, I don't want to know that. That's, that's not, that won't help me. When I walk through those doors, I want to know these guys are really working hard to be the best at what they can be. Right? In fact, not even the PhD thing on the wall is going to help me. I need to know you mean business about what you're doing. Similar about appointing elders. Let them be tested. By the way, the other word he uses as a synonym with elder is pastor, shepherd. Let me give you a little bit of a uh, blast to my past. When I was ordained to be a, an elder pastor, I had to come before two pastors, and I did so for an hour. And uh, I was to answer grueling questions about theology, about the Bible, about counseling, about discipleship, about true doctrine and false doctrine. In fact, let me give you a little bit of an idea of kind of how this worked with me and kind of how there's a bit of an intimidation, you know, with all of this. Uh, One of the men who was, when, when I came to this testing 
period, he came out with a stack of books. And he set them on his table. And I noticed in these stack of books that each one had a little marker in them. So, all right? So the books, marker in them. And so he, he grabbed, you know, the first book. And in each one, by the way, he, so he let me know. He says, all right, in each one of these books, there is a false doctrine. I am going to read a portion of it. You're to identify the false doctrine. And then you're to answer what the answer is to that false doctrine. And then you're to give me as many Old Testament and New Testament references that answers that false doctrine. Okay. All right. Can I go home and pray? You know. And study a little more. You always feel that you need to study more. The class that we took, that we just prior to all of this, is called Doctor of the Book. Becoming a doctor of the Bible. That is, treated as serious as a doctor would in wanting to bring healing to a person. In wanting to fix people physically. You have a more important job to fix people spiritually. He would grab the next book and then he would give me another and I had no idea how long this would go on. I was given another written test and uh, just asking me questions about the Bible, the whole Bible, by the way. All right, uh, they would say, give me an outline to these books and uh, with the theme and the annotated outline describing uh, everything in that book, starting with, let's just start with Genesis and uh, then how about you, you know, do the same thing with Romans and Daniel and John and Luke and Hebrews and so forth. Do you know what my cheat sheet was? This. That's it. It's all I could use. It was just my Bible. Me and my Bible. Well, I did have a blank sheet of paper with my pen. Now, why make such a big deal? Say, come on, man. I mean, it's the church. We're just going to do, you know, potlucks and uh, and just, you know, sing a little bit and all that. And, you know, and, and then let people come together and we'll listen to complaints and we'll just kind of, you know, give hugs and go on our merry way. I mean, that's church, right? No, you make such a big deal because you're the caretaker of souls. Souls that belong to Jesus. We raise the standard. He's, he's your master. James 3, 1. He will call you to account for them. Now, lest you think, oh man, I'm glad I'm no elder or pastor or anything like that. Don't forget, boy, I tell you what, if you're a mom or dad, you're the shepherd in that home. There's a count for you too. And boy, imagine if we took that task as serious as what I'm talking about. Boy, it would just radically transform parenting, wouldn't it? You see, so how do you go about finding men like that so that you can appoint them? Well, that's what we're going to be doing today and then we'll extend it out into next week. And so Paul tells us, He tells Titus, actually, appoint elders. 
Now to appoint, that word uh, appoint means to place before you, place them before you. And what you do is you place them before the church and you say, these are the men that God has set apart for you to follow. And he uses the word test and that word test is for all of us. And so all of us look at these men and we say to ourselves, okay, here's the Bible, here's the men. We need to just make sure these are the men that the Lord really is calling. God has set them apart for you to follow. Follow their teaching, follow their lives, follow their wisdom, follow their parenting, follow their thinking, follow them as they follow Christ. And I tell you, it matters who you appoint. Boy, I tell you what, for us, we were so thankful as uh, newly parents in the church that we were at, as we looked around and saw lots of men that were shepherding their families. And I remember for us, we said, well, not only are we new at this, we don't want to mess it up. So we've, we, we needed to be sponges. We would ask all kinds of questions about how, how these godly men around us were parenting. We didn't want to go into it thinking, oh, well, we'll figure it out. We've got a Bible here. It's all good. I've seen lots of movies and read lots of books. I'll be all right. Really? You know what I've, you know what my experience was? Watching a lot of failure. So I knew I didn't want to do that. Get me around the godly men that I could ask who are caring for their families and raising them like Christ so that I can then turn around and do that with with our family. All right, the ministry is the work of service. All the saints are equipped to do that work. Who equips them? Elders. And we see the ministry context create this tough crowd of sinners and the ministry conundrum set in order what remains. There's always something that remains. Don't grow weary when there's more work. We see the ministry command appoint elders. Is this a special work in Crete for Titus? Is it unique? Is it Is it just different just for him? No. Point number four, the ministry consistency. Paul tells Titus, appoint elders in every city. We have no idea how many cities there were in Crete or how many of them had churches in it. But it's big enough there for for there to be many cities on this island. And the thing that we need to see here is that it, it didn't matter what the church was, there was a consistency. Set it up the same way, exact same way, point elders. This is the same pattern Paul had in every city, in every church. And we told you last time, I mean, we don't really around here talk a whole lot about elder rule. We don't want to. You say, you don't believe in that? Well, we believe in it different than you might think. There's actually no such thing as as a biblical church that is elder rule. There is only one ruler, only one authority, only one leadership, and it is the apostolic one under the headship of Christ. Apostles died. So what do we have left? Elders. Trying to follow Jesus. So the consistency is doing it like Paul said to do it. Philippians 3.17, brethren, 
join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul was always going around setting, giving them patterns. I like that. Paul says, not just what I say, but what I've shown you. All right, let me give you uh, for this point, for this section, the last one here, the point number five, the ministry charge. Paul says, as I directed you. And the word is literally diatasso, as I've commanded you, I've given you the order. This isn't Paul saying, hey, I've got this great idea. You should try it and see how it goes. I mean, you know, check back with me in a few months and give me an update. You know, I mean, if that, if that would have been the approach, then it would have been like, this would have been Titus, right? S-O-S, right? I mean, uh, May Day, uh, sinking ship, right? Help, um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. You know what I mean? Something like that. Now, this is Paul reminding Titus about the command that he gave him last time. And so there's authority in this. Later on in chapter 2, verse 15, I mean, we got to get this right. I mean, look at verse 15, Titus 2, 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Huh. That doesn't sound like suggestion at all. There's no room for you or others to say, I don't like this idea. Let's try something else. There's no plan B. This is the Lord's will, so do it. Now, we went through all of this in in this one verse to make it clear that God wants elders here at GBC. That's how he moves his church. That's how he protects it and leads it purifies it, loves it, and grows it, and heals it, and strengthens it, and encourages it, and brings wisdom to it, and helps it in everywhere through elders. You say, all right, all right, all right, I got the message. But how? Now that we're ready, we've embraced that, what's the process? I mean, when when did Paul tell Titus about the process? Well, he doesn't in Titus. So that tells me something. It tells me that Titus must have understood the process already. Must have understood this. You say, so what about us, though? Well, to get there in your notes, to get to the process of how we go and find these elders that we can appoint, we need to ask some questions that's probably going to take the rest of our time and we'll move into next week as we need to. <laughs> so, let's do that. First question is this. What is the role of an elder? What is the role of an elder? This is sort of like saying, what are the job requirements, right? What are those job requirements? What is the role? What are we talking about here? Take a look there in your notes, and I gave it to you so that I can be as clear as possible. Not, so, so I wouldn't be mistaken. The church is led, look at it there, by a plurality of qualified men who unanimously, equally, and autonomously shepherd the local 
church. Now that's a comprehensive statement and we need to break it down. You, you can't just find some guys and ask them if they want to be elders and then say, well, okay, get going. You know, can't do that. What do they do? What is, what's their role in the church? Eight pieces that I want to offer you from that statement from Scripture. And again, these are things that Titus would know from Paul already. We know what it's like to just freelance. This is not what he's saying here. I mean, we know what it looks like when elders don't function like the Lord wants them to. You say, we do? Yeah, listen here. Just look at the disciples before they were fully trained. In Matthew 10, Jesus brings them together and gives them authority over unclean spirits. He gives them power to cast those unclean spirits out, power to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. He calls them to preach the gospel. If they receive your message, stay in that house. If not, move on. I mean, he gives them this tremendous instruction. And then you get to chapter 16 and, and they convene after doing all of that. And, and Jesus says, well, how did it go? And who, who did the people say that the Son of Man is? And, and you remember who spoke up? Peter did. And, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, that's an incredible statement. That's, that's an incredible moment. And Jesus says, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. In other words, hey, Peter, this didn't come from your brain. The Father put that in there. And I'm going to build my church on that confession through you guys. See, You remember what happens next? Jesus tells them that he's going to suffer many things and be killed and they be raised up on the third day. Oh man, we are going places. Peter says to that, nope. No. No, you're not going to do that. I won't let it happen. In fact, now listen. This is what he actually said. God forbid it, Lord. You know what Peter was saying? I am calling forth God to keep you from doing this. What? This shall never happen to you. And that is when Jesus called Peter Satan. Get behind me, see. Remember that? You get to Matthew 20 and the mother of James and John is trying to get Jesus to give her boys the two highest positions in heaven. This is incredible. Maybe she figured, well, you know, he just called Peter Satan. I think he's out. My boys must be next up, you know. Later on, the 12 argue about who's the greatest. and I mean, that's not exactly a group that should be leading the Lord's church, right? Jesus said he would build his church through these guys. How? Listen very carefully. Because he made them what he wanted them to be. Starting in John 21, where Jesus goes to a dejected Peter after denying him and says, Simon, do you love me more than these? These, who's he talking about? The other disciples? No. These. We we don't exactly know. Whatever he's talking about, it has to be something he's going to love more. You know what that tells me? It's always about these. We 
need to love Jesus more than whatever the these are. He, you know, he's telling him, I mean, will there be things that compete for your love for me? You need to fix yourself at that level. You, that needs to get fixed. If that doesn't get fixed, you can't be a leader that I need. The men that lead the Lord's church cannot be men who love things more than Jesus. What's Jesus tell Peter next? Tend my lambs. Three times he tells him this. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. That's, by the way, that's what an elder looks like. Tend my lambs. It's that simple. Love me more than everything else and then tend the lambs. So, when Paul tells Titus to appoint elders, he means go and find ones that are born again and that learn what Peter and the other disciples learned. Men that came from the group of the liars and the lewd and the lazy and find ones that love Christ more than anything else. And then turn them loose to tend his lambs. All right, what's the role of an elder? Let's break down that statement. An elder is first to lead, to lead. We're going to go quickly through this, this stuff in a lot of scripture. So keep your pen ready. There might be some friction to it because we're going to go fast. All right. Paul's gathered the elders of the church from Ephesus, Acts twenty twenty eight. Paul tells them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Notice the Holy Spirit made you overseers. He made you elders. Listen, you didn't sign up for this. And if you did, you probably shouldn't. There were no applications. You didn't respond to the ad in the paper or the message on Facebook. So to become an elder is something pressed upon by the Holy Spirit. But the thing also to see here is this. It is a call to lead the Lord's church. To shepherd is to lead it. Peter said a similar thing in 1 Peter 5. After calling himself a fellow elder and calling them to shepherd the flock of God, verse 3, not yet lording, as lording it over those allotted to your charge. See it? In other words, there is responsibility here. An elder has been given a portion of the Lord's flock. It's a charge to lead his people. Now, how should an elder lead the Lord's church? Let me give you four guides. First, as a servant. As a servant. By remembering that the Lord's kind of leadership is servant leadership. Servant leadership. John 13. You remember that when Jesus took on the garments of the servant and stooped down to wash the feet of the disciples. By the way, that included Judas. Learn, let that be a, a, a lesson learned in servant leadership. 
Jesus said, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. So, in Jesus' economy, leadership isn't barking orders. It isn't telling people what to do. It isn't believing in yourself so much that you are so full of confidence because, you know, you believe you're the best. In fact, you don't get that at all here. You almost get the sense that you believe yourself so low. Paul, one of the greatest non-Jesus leaders in the history of the world, said this, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 1 Corinthians 2. That doesn't sound like much of a leader. He doesn't sound very confident, does he? Trembling? What would we say today? Come on, man. Up with it. Get strong. Chest out. Today, today's world, you say, believe in yourself. Let's go. You've got to believe you can do this thing. Paul would never have told you that, ever. And that's because Paul understood the seriousness of his task. He didn't place confidence in his flesh. He just came to serve with an unswerving commitment and attitude. Don't mistake the trembling for somebody that isn't strong. He came to take up the basin and the towel. The church is to be led by men who have a servant's heart and life. That's how the elder leads the Lord's church. But secondly, he leads by planning. He leads by planning. Proverbs 16, 9, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord directs the steps. Now, I love that verse because that tells me it's okay to plan. It's okay to plan. Sometimes you think, oh no, I better not plan because, I mean, the Lord's will. He's going to accomplish what he wants anyway. No, 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 no. Plan. He wants us to be those people that plan. It's okay to plan. Just, you know, leave room for the Lord to direct the steps. The men who lead the church must be men of vision who plan and set goals which the church will reach by the power of the Spirit. Now that was... That was what Nehemiah was like. You remember him? Nehemiah. You want to learn about Nehemiah? You go to, you go to uh, Psalms. And to the left of Psalms is Job. And then you keep going just a few more, and you're right there at Nehemiah. You read in those first two chapters, and you see a man that made a plan to go and help the Israelites. You remember that they were trying to fix their broken down walls and, and their gates in Jerusalem. And and trying to put the pieces back together. And what you see in those two chapters over and over and over is Nehemiah not only planning, but praying. I like that. Men who plan the most should pray the most. 
Here's my plan, Lord, but my hand is open. I so like that. Oftentimes we're just praying and not planning or planning but not praying. We need to be doing both. Direct this thing where you want, Lord. That's the picture of the elder. I mean, if you want another great picture of what this looks like, uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians 16. Paul tells the church there in verse 5, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Oh, boy, Paul sounds determined, doesn't he? I'm going to go through Macedonia. Maybe, Paul, do you remember what happened last time? Acts 16, you tried going to the Holy Spirit, wouldn't let you go. I'm going through Macedonia. I like that. But watch this. He did learn it. He's a planned man. He's a man of vision. He's a man of structure. He's organized. He's three steps ahead, see? But when you keep going in 1 Corinthians 16, you notice how much Paul understands the Lord's sovereign will and how everything's in his hands. Verse 6, And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. You see the word? Perhaps. It, it might happen that way. Well, why say it that way? What happened to you being so determined, Paul? Verse 7. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. You see it? He says, I will. Then he says, perhaps. Then he says, I hope. Paul, are you being wishy-washy? Not at all. End of verse 7. If the Lord permits. That's how the elder always looks at things. I plan this way. We will do this. Perhaps. We hope. If the Lord permits. Always under the Lord. And so he leads as a servant. He leads planning and praying. Thirdly, he leads by reproducing other leaders. He leads with a, with a mindset of replacing himself. And we're going to get to more of this. But I have to mention this one. Second Timothy 2.2 Those men who lead the church must be committed to reproducing themselves and others who can teach others also. Listen to Paul. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it just gets passed down to faithful men. And so you look for those men and you, and you pass it down to them. Fourth, he leads by example. Now that's just what you see in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 when it says, how can an elder take care of the church if he cannot manage his own household? In other words, elders are put before the church as examples. Sometimes you hear people talk about you know, church leadership like being in a fishbowl. They talk about that negatively. And I think to myself, you are in a fishbowl. What's wrong with that? You need to be in the fishbowl. They have to see you 
That's God's call. Everyone looks at you. But they do it for good reason. Paul says this is how the body learns how to do it. How to parent. How to have godly marriages. How to love the saints. How to reach the lost. Example. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul told the church there, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Peter 5, 3, proving to be examples to the flock. He said that to the, about the elders. You say examples of what? 1 Peter 5, 5, godly humility. It just flows right through the, the text. Be proving to be examples, verse 3, of what? Humility. Why? Because people aren't naturally that way. Have you noticed that we're have you noticed that you're not naturally humble? You say, Oh man, I thought that was my spiritual gift. No. You are not naturally humble. Clothe yourselves with it toward one another, he says. So the role of an elder, the church, is led. They are leaders for us. Second, to be a plurality. To be a plurality. Acts fourteen twenty three. When the elders are together, they form a plurality. You say, what does that mean? Well, notice the word plural in that word. It doesn't say go and appoint an elder for every city. It says appoint elders, plural. But it says more than that. The church is not run by one man, many men who connect together. That's what the church is. And not one, by the way, is greater than the other. Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Plural elders in each and every church. Now what does that mean? We need to go further here. The pattern for the apostolic churches was not a single elder overseeing the flock like some sort of priest or bishop, but a group of men working as a team in this function. And I can show you this by the word lead. L-E-A-D. L, letters of Paul. The letters of Paul. We showed you Acts 14.23. There's 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be, and on and so forth. It's a plurality. And Titus 1.5, appoint elders in every city. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, this is a single church, but listen, to all the saints, including the overseers. Plural. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. More than one. Many elders, one church. L, that's L, letters of Paul. E, examples of the churches. Notice the examples of the churches outside of 2nd and 3rd John when Peter mentions himself in 1 Peter 5 1. There, there are no churches in the New Testament that are referred to as having only one elder. We don't have that example. All are led by the plurality of men. Now you could have you could have men that are stronger in leadership than others, but it is a plurality. A, Acts, the book of Acts. And what you see there in the book of Acts is that is the norm. And we don't have time to go through all of what's there, but I'll tell you, all over the place, it is that. And then D, 
differences. Those who say that the norm is congregational rule fail to properly appreciate some different passages in the, throughout the scriptures. Like, for example, Acts 6. We have, remember where they had this issue with the feeding of the, of, of the, the poor and the widows and so forth being neglected, the, the Greek ones. And what you see there is the solving of the problem was with a group of apostles coming to the people and guiding and directing them. The congregation was given the guidance for how to do it. They didn't come to the congregation and say, uh, we need you to, you know, solve this. We're going to let you know how this is solved. Here's kind of the, the, the guidance to this. So they use the congregation that way. Acts 14.23, instead of the church choosing the elders in every city, it's Paul and Barnabas who choose. And then in Titus 1.6, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders. He did the choosing. You say, well, maybe he did it through the congregation. You know, feedback. Possibly. But the responsibility was square on Titus. So the idea is to get a group of men to be this one group called elders, a plurality. So the church is led by a plurality, thirdly, of qualified, qualified men. First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Now we're going to look at these two sections of Scripture in detail next week. But we need to just make the point about the role of elders in a general way here. Those who led the church must be spiritually qualified. Underscore this, God doesn't appoint strong natural leaders. He doesn't do that. He's not into the SNL. He isn't looking for successful businessmen. He isn't looking for confident men. He's not looking for talented movers and shakers. He's not looking for good with people kind of man, you know, the, oh, he's very relational. He's not looking for that. That's not something that qualifies you to be an elder. See, what does? Spiritual qualifications. Not fleshly ones. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter, you know, how much community success you have had. Are you spiritually qualified? That's the question. Fourth aspect to an elder's role, are you a man? Now that, by that, not manly man, you know, kind of a, you know, are you a man? You know, just literally male. Now we probably never thought that, that uh, gender would have this much complexity to it, but here we are. Uh, so that's the fourth, fourth point, men. Men are not superior to women, but God calls for elders to be Yes, women have a vital role in the church. And in fact, the biggest is, according to 1 Timothy 2, is exercise in the home. You have unbelievable, moms, unbelievable impact and influence in that home that will set the future for your children when they grow up. It's huge. The primary role of leadership 
church body is to be fulfilled by mature, godly men. First Timothy 3.2, the husband of one wife. He never says it any other way. We don't have time now, but we, we're going to get into this next week to expand. But let me just say, God sovereignly made it that the godly leaders all throughout the whole Bible would be fathers to his flock. Read it. That's a difficult concept of an elder could be a woman. It doesn't work. So this is so crucial, beloved, in this day and age, especially. We desperately need a resurgence of godly, manly men who would proactively lead as servants in the Lord's church. Elders are to be men. Fifth, unanimously. Unanimously. The fifth word is unanimously. What does that mean? Those who leave the church must be unified and of one mind as they make decisions and provide direction for the church. Now, I want to be clear here. They're not always going to agree. But they will defer to agree because they love the Lord. When it comes to theological direction, when it comes to shepherding direction, they are to be one voice leading us into the one will of God. That's how it works. Beloved, there are not two wills of God, by the way, only one. And it is found in this book. The elder's task is to make decisions that lead the church spiritually by seeking to learn and know the one will of God. 1 Corinthians 1.10, so important. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. The word agree literally means to speak the same words. The church is to come across as one voice. How much so the elders? In fact, I believe the more the elders are one voice, the more the church will be one voice. What does that mean? Well, it it doesn't mean majority rules. There's no two-thirds vote. There's no room for putting it to a vote. There's no room for campaigning for your position. Let me give you just a few more here. Six. Equally, Peter in 1 Peter 5, 1 calls himself a fellow elder with these elders in the churches. Boy, that's just amazing to me when I read that. I think so much for Peter thinking that he was the first pope. I mean, he says, I'm a fellow elder with you. He himself said that. There is no hierarchy in the leadership of the church. not going to find it. Listen, Peter tried to observe hierarchy. You remember that? John 13? Jesus went to wash his feet. Peter said, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Jesus said, well then, you have no, no part with eternal life. And then Peter said, okay, do it all. You know, it's like, he's so, the guy's yeah, he's always kind of on the opposite ends of, of, of deals there. Um, I love it, though. He's a man full of passion. I'm all in here, Jesus. 
you know, no, Jesus said, there's no hierarchy. We're all equal here. And you know, certain men will, well, certain men will be respected more because of their wisdom or maybe knowledge or, or, or giftedness. All are equal and accountable to each other. You can see that there in First Peter 5. You can see it in Matthew 23. I have it there in your notes. You can look that up on your own. Seventh, autonomously. Each local church is a separate entity in and of itself and is answerable directly and only to Christ. On your own, you can read First Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 to, to, to understand this. There's no chief. There's no president. It even feels weird whenever you think about the chairman of the elders, I just think, oh, dear. You know, maybe let's just stay away from these, you know, elevating type of descriptions. Each flock has its own accountability. The church down the road has no say in our direction. The collective voice of the church in America has no bearing whatsoever on how we handle things like COVID or the woke movement or the gender issue or homosexuality or the transgender issue. Nothing. We are not called to that kind of accountability. There's only one accountability and it is the one that the Lord has brought and put here under him. And then the eighth one here, shepherd most vital task of the leaders of the church is to shepherd their flock. Notice in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, that's the point by Peter. And it involves feeding and leading and protecting, and we'll have more to say about that. But that's the first question to answer when it comes to knowing how to appoint elders. What is the role of an elder? If you know what you're looking for, that helps, right? This is the task. This is the labor. What about who? Let's let's end our time here by asking that question. Who can be an elder? Who can be an elder? And what we're going to do is, I'm just kind of giving you, I'm pretty much getting you ready for next week here when I say this. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to look at into 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And we might include some other stuff, but we're, we're definitely going to just look at those texts and look at these qualifications to understand who can be an elder. I mean, you might be thinking to yourself, maybe you're, I know somebody, I think they might be an elder. Or yourself, maybe I might be an elder. How do you know? I mean, what was Titus looking for when Paul said, appoint elders in every city as I directed you? Well, the first one that we're going to look at next week, starting next week, is the word desire desire let me just say this the first place to start that person has to want to be an elder they have to want to be an elder and I'll explain why that's so important but it starts with desire you can have a person that knows the word all kinds of experience, years, godly, 
raised up children, everything's all wonderful. But if there's if the desire, if they just don't want to. So, wow, but you would be so good at this. What if they don't want to? I love the illustration of this reading this last week of the church who for two times had asked this particular man to be an elder. He, he turned, him, turned him down. He said, man, would you be a perfect elder? The third time, he finally said, all right. Well, 1 Peter 5 says that you must not be compelled to do so. After they began to kind of get into it a little bit, they came to realize this guy was not as strong of a... He really just wasn't... didn't want to teach. So how can we have a person as elder that doesn't really want to teach? Then they came to find out that this guy was, he came to them and said, you know, I'm struggling so much because I I don't have any time to do what I used to do. I used to have all this time to go around evangelizing in the community and all that. It's because I'm working as an elder. So then they called a timeout and said, okay, you're not an elder. You don't even want to be an elder. You know what he really wanted to be? An evangelist. You know what the church did? They gained an evangelist when they lost an elder. That's good. It's good. Has to be a desire. We'll talk more about that uh, next week. Let's conclude here. Let me give you some thoughts here. Concluding. How should we respond to something like this? A few thoughts. First of all, pray. Ask the Lord to show us and to show you. Secondly, be bold and go talk to those you think might need to be appointed. Talk to them. Get the ball rolling and started. Thirdly, consider where the Lord is growing you. You might not be an elder, but are there areas of ministry in your sphere that need to be sharpened so you can be you know, effective in your ministry that the Lord has given you? Maybe it's a ministry to your family or to your spouse or just to your friends, people around you those in your flock. And I'm just going to tell you this. At the end of next Lord's Day, our goal is going to be that we would be at a place where you'd understand what it takes to nominate a person to be an elder. Okay? All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you, Lord. You you, uh, have provided so much at this banqueting feast of your word for us to just be fed on And we just want to make sure, Lord, that we receive what you've given us. So now, Lord, as we close our down this service this way um, in in the receiving of your word, help us to go out from here and uh, take what you've taught us, Lord, and begin to apply. Pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to just come and open our eyes and give us clarity to things you might be doing in our church body or in our own personal lives. Do this for your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name.